1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 244 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 29th, 2012, and we'll be talking all about USC licking their wounds after coming back from the desert, losing to Arizona on the road, final big road game of the season, final game outside of California, but it wasn't a good one for the Trojans, 39-36, we got a lot of questions to get to. Uh, so we've got a big show. We're going to take a little longer, but we're going to try to get to each and every one of your questions. We do love to hear from you. So if you want to call in, you can call 206-888-6755, or you can write us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or just go to peristylepodcast.com and click on the left side of the page to leave us a voicemail right from your computer. we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show, and we have Coach Harvey Hyde. Here in the first segment, as always, what's up, Coach? How you doing?
2: Well, Ryan, uh, it was a, uh, say, uh, a bad Saturday night. I went to a couple of Halloween parties to try to shake it off, and Sunday morning had a little bit of therapy and doing the Trojan brunch show, but it's very disappointing, I think, to most all Trojan fans, and I'm just a Trojan, uh, say, analysis person, but I become attached to usc obviously as everyone else does by following him and i didn't graduate from usc but i'm a guy that's very close now to the program because i'm a, an adopted alumnus now of usc i guess you can say uh it's disappointing too because there was such great expectations for this season and uh you know you can't win the championship on the Offseason, you got to win it during the season. And everything has to go right to go undefeated, everything has to go right to win. And uh, I think it's been disappointing so far because I haven't seen yet the team gel to the level of potential that the personnel has. So I think that's what most people are looking at. Why hasn't this team reached the level of what we, we expected? And then also the lack of control, possibly with the penalties, which have destroyed them or hurt them badly. And uh, in this type of situation, in a close game, they weren't good enough to overcome it. Some play calling, defense, offense. I, I would look at it as this way. Arizona's a better team than what people expected, but yet not good enough to beat USC. And uh, everyone expected a win. I expected a win on the pregame show. I said that to everyone. Uh, in one year, for Rich Rodriguez to come in there and beat USC uh, is uh, something you have to admire. Was He put his players in a position where they could perform. Uh, he didn't have a lot of great players, but he certainly utilized them as far as uh, carry and and Scott and his, his five or six receivers or eight receivers he uses for the entire game and puts them in a position to be successful. And uh, I think it's just disappointing. The season's not over, of course. There's a lot of games to play. And now USC turns from a favorite to a spoiler. They can spoil a lot of people's, you know, seasons. You know, Oregon, of course, was cheering for USC to win because they wanted to play USC when they were higher ranked to try to get themselves back into this so-called DCS poll that I don't think knows what they're doing. I like the coaches poll where they have Oregon. So everything went right for USC, except for USC, Notre Dame wins, which put them in a great position to be able to uh, SC to beat Notre Dame, which would move them up. Florida loses, Oklahoma loses, Oregon state loses. They would have moved up a minimum of three places in the polls. And then with uh, Oregon this week, who knows what could have happened there. It still can. Don't get me wrong. But it makes it a little bit more bleak as far as being trying to be optimistic. That's probably my opening <laughs> segment here to get us going.
1: Yeah, we and uh, you touched on, there's questions on everything you touched on there. So we're going to try to get to all of them, like I said, before we do that wanted to thank our, our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. Uh, three, four home, four, three home games and four games in Los Angeles coming up. So if you want to check out USC, the final quarter of the season, you can definitely check them out and you can go to sctickets.com and they'll help you out. And I just wanted to let people know um, we had – we're going to get to a bunch of voicemail questions. If you leave a voicemail question, please try to keep it 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so. We had one that was three and a half minutes long. We, we just can't play. That's <laughs> just a little bit too long. And if you want to go to uscfootball.com, even if you're not a subscriber, you can go to the Trojan football forum, which is absolutely free. You can go in there and start talking with other USC fans. Some of the questions I get that are two pages long, that's a great place to put them is on the Trojan football forum. So check it out. And I, Coach, we we do our best, but there's just so many questions coming in, it's hard to get to all of them.
2: Oh, I understand. We'll take as many as we can do.
1: Um, well, let's go to Mark. And I think Mark uh, wrote in before um, to you uh, last week, and uh, he said, I have a prediction that Coach Harvey Hyde will blame uh, Kiffin for the loss. Nothing could be further from the truth. This was on the players, 15 penalties, five turnovers. They are not that good. They need to look in the mirror and man up. What do you think about that? I, I know that Coach Kiffin's got a lot of criticism, Coach, but you know, is it, is it the penalties and the turnovers on the players or is it on the coaching staff or a little of both?
3: Well, I think
2: you heard me say it in the, in the opening segment. I said I think it was a complete team loss because if it's a combination. When you lose a game like that, it's a combination of offense, defense, penalties, head coach, assistant coaches, you don't blame it on one person. You all win and you all lose. You all pray together. You all cry together. You all travel the team playing home, singing and dancing in the hall, in the in the, in the on the plane, or you come home quiet like a mouse. So, uh, but ultimately, Mark and I and I, Mark, I don't want to think you to think I'm just pointing it, but it all starts at the top. Uh, you you got to be responsible for what your position is. I think they pay Kiffin somewhere about two and a half to 3 million a year. And I, and I, and I think that when you pay someone that type of money, then you praise him when you win and you talk about some of the things that you question. I'm not saying he's not a great coach. I'm not saying that he can't recruit. I'm just saying that I think most people expected more from the potential for this football team. And I'm not trying to blame anybody. It's, it's a team effort and a, In win and losing. And I think parts of it, they spread the love. I think that you have to take responsibilities for plays called. You have to take responsibilities and and cover your players back. When it's your mistake, you stand up and you say, it's my mistake. If it's a player's uh, having penalties, that falls under my leadership. That's my responsibility. I've got to find a way to solve it. Uh, you've got you're, you. You've got to be responsible for the actions of your football team, not just offensively, defensively. The thing, the one thing that I never liked to be responsible for was off-field responsibilities. You have a hundred players, or whatever you might have, and you're responsible for them on the field. But what about the rest of the day when they're off somewhere doing something uh, that isn't positive? And the first thing the media does is call you up as a head football coach. I'd say, why did he do this, coach? And I would say, well, have you called his parents yet? I mean, I'm coaching him. I gave him an opportunity to go to college. Have you asked his parents why he did it? I mean, I don't know why he went out and drove 80 miles an hour on the freeway or whatever. You're the one that gave him the car or whatever. This is this examples. So I think that when you're head coach, you have to, be able to stand up, and you have to be able to answer the questions. You have to be responsible for the actions of your team, offensively, defensively, penalties-wise, the whole control of the game. That's why you're the head football coach. I said it yesterday, the USC's football program is not a, uh, a minor league. It's the White House. You're not a governor at FC as a head football coach. You're president. And you surround yourself against with great people and great players, and people expect that at USC. So I'm saying that it's not all his fault, but he has to be responsible for the negative things that happen with in the football program.
1: Um, well, let's stick on the coach. We have we have to get to all these things, but the the stick on the coaching aspect, uh, Bill in the OC. I'm going to play you a voicemail question too. Bill in the OC had, a, and we got a lot of questions like this where he questioned the play calling. He questioned the lack of emotion. He said there was no control on this team, and then here's another question. I'll play you this voicemail on coaching and coach, you can get your your comments on that.
4: Hi, this is Mike from New York. This is a question for the coach or anybody on the show on Monday. I'm sure you're going to have about a thousand questions that sound like mine. So I understand if I don't hear mine, but I'll hear something like it. I'm sure. Um, it's pretty clear to me the greatest disappointment for this season is not the one loss record. I think it's the talent and the expectations that existed before the season compared to the results during the season. And when you look at the talent, how we match up through throughout the season, team to team, we have better athletes than anybody there. Um, and so I can only draw the conclusion that it's coaching that's the problem. And I think a lot of people are ready for a change, even though we have a winning record. So maybe the coach or your guest can comment on that. Again, this is Mike from New York. Uh,
2: Thanks for your uh, efforts on the
4: podcast and fight on.
2: Well, Mike, thank you for checking in with us. Um, No, I don't think it's time for a change. Uh, I don't believe that at all. But I think there's there's time for some changes, not for a change in the head coaching position. I think that right now people are looking at all the negative things that have happened, and it's easy on... Sunday morning and Monday morning to rethink things over and say I'd have done this or I'd have done that. But there are some things definitely I think that are visible to everybody that everybody wants an explanation about. First of all, the penalties. Let's start with that issue. People ask me all the time about the penalties and I've been thinking about it hard. Um, and And I think basically I think coach kiffin and of course i'm not being critical but i'm just giving you my opinion on what i think when you are so much involved in play calling and into the way he calls his plays people have talked about the card non-communication with the rest of the offensive team not talking to barkley when he comes off the field sort of separated and i understand too on the never mind i don't need to get in the phone lines and all that with the communication but you you've lost control Of your team, but you're not the head coach. You're the offensive coordinator. And I think you have to be in control of your entire sideline. Some coaches have the ability to do that. Chip Kelly. You watch Chip Kelly, you know, he has a little card rolled up his hand. I don't know, four by six card. He's in control of the whole sideline, offensively, defensively, the whole thing. You you look at Rich Rodriguez even on Saturday I mean, he's in control of that team. You can tell when people come off the field, he's either praising them or you want to go off on the other side before you get to him. There's coaches that can do that. You look at Nick Saban at Alabama. He game manages the entire game with a headset, walking up and down the sideline, but everybody on that sideline or on that team knows who the head coach is. And when he speaks to you, you listen. I think you have to have control of – and the team has to feel as though you care as much about the defense and special teams as you do the offensive side of it, but you spend so much time to just the offensive side of the football that you become disconnected with some things. I think that I would like to see him, and I'm just saying this is my suggestion, seeing him come become more involved in the entire game management and operations of the team give suggestions to somebody who might be playing, calling to play. Everything goes so through him on down-distance situations. You're going to go for it or kick a field goal. because Sometimes when you're so involved in one facet of the game, you don't see the big picture. And I think this is something some people can do and some things that people can't do. I've done both. So I've learned sometimes the hard way, and sometimes it's been successful the way well, I, I didn't know how it happened, but it worked. So I think that you've got to eliminate the penalties, you're not going to beat anybody. You're killing yourself. Really, USC didn't lose that game against Arizona. They beat themselves, but yet Arizona contributed with a great deal of penalties, too. In fact, I think they had one or two more penalties than USC did and a lot of drops. But you get 618 yards in offense. One kid gets 469 yards in offense. You give up 588 yards in defense, something's not right. Something's not right in the game management. Something not right in passing up points. Something not right on the two-minute drill. Something's not right. And you hear me talk about the running game, and don't get me wrong, you're going to hear the same stuff because this is the way I believe. You've, to win championships, you got to run the football. And right now, USC runs one play. They run the reverse, uh, they run laterally on a short-down situation, fourth and two, they pass up a field goal. Uh, They call a timeout before they run the play. Uh, Normally a reverse comes off of you've set it up by running a lot of tosses, maybe four or five tosses, and they're thinking you're running a toss and you run the reverse, so you've got the flow going that way and you run a reverse. Now, to just pull it out of your head and run it, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that Lee even understood how many yards he had to get. Instead of going for the two or three yards try to make a big play out of it and that's not what you needed you needed the first down to go on fourth and two early in the game on the 15 yard line instead of taking the points uh and missing the pass is a big gamble why that's all i say why and uh if you ask that question i don't know what the answer would be i like to ask that question just to get an answer not a smart ass answer i'm talking about give me the answer what's the thinking Uh, and also when you look at the passing numbers, you know, a lot of those yards are picked up after the catch, after the catch, Lee runs for how many yards or Woods runs for how many yards and how long have we been talking about getting the tight end involved in the game in the middle of the field? I don't know. And the defense, uh, played well at times, but not consistently, you can't expect them to stop them every down when they're averaging what they do as an offensive football team. But third and 22? Where's the safeties back there? Third and 22? I mean, that's unbelievable. So there's certain things like that that you look at and you say, what's going on? And uh, I think Coach Giffin's an outstanding young man. I like him. Should there be a change? Hell no. Should there be some changes within the structure of the program, there always should be on any staff. That's well ended.
1: Um, well, we had, there's a couple more questions on the coaching thing. I'll let we'll have to we'll probably have to go through these a little bit more rapid fire. All right. But all right, I
2: better uh, fire do rapid fire. There. Do me some rapid. <laughs> but I wanted fire.
1: to I wanted to read what John wrote. He's from class of 2000. Um, he said after Saturday's disappointing loss, I'm sure we'll receive plenty of messages highly critical of Coach Lane Kiffin and his staff. Some may even call for their dismissal. I think it's important for Trojan fans to keep in mind that Coach Kiffin and his staff are dealing with unprecedented set of circumstances, having to deal with, and they have to figure things out as they go. I think overall they're doing a great job. While it's frustrating to see the team lose the way they have, people need to take a step back and realize that almost no other program in the country could handle the loss of scholarships and bowl games the way USC has. You can be critical of the results in the field, but you also have to give Coach Kiffin a lot of credit for how he's handled all the sanctions. USC has no shot at playing for a national championship this year, but all things considered, how realistic of an expectation was a national championship this season? Those who want to see Coach Kiffin go should be careful for what they wish for. There aren't too many coaches who could put their program in a situation with such high expectations when the NCAA tried to completely ruin them. That's from John, the class of 2000.
2: John, you're right. He's, uh, since he's been at USC, he's been under complete scrutiny. When he arrived, 8-5, and 10-2, great year last year, and people expected more because he had a great year last year and everybody except for Khalil came back. And uh, the offseason, of course, uh, was such uh, highly publicized that everyone expected him to go out and, and get it done. I agree 100% with that. Uh, but, you know, the, when you don't uh, utilize your personnel personnel and you don't see. My feeling is USC should be undefeated. Why should I kid you? They should be undefeated. Stanford's a good football team. The Pac-12 is a much better conference than it's ever been before. Uh, but to use excuses about we don't have as many scholarships now down the road, yes, but not now. Everybody coming back. But they have 19 starters coming back from a ten-and-two season. So those shouldn't be. Excuse. You don't need excuses. And another thing, too, there's been too many off-the-field controversial issues that don't even relate to winning and losing from the reporters on the field and the injuries and the teams not being able to come around and walk around the Coliseum before uh, they play USC and all of those type of issues that are not related at all to the football program. Why care about the number changes? Uh, what do we, well, don't get me wrong, but that's not important about winning and losing, what number someone wears. And, of course, the media is making a bigger deal out of it than what it was. But those things draw criticism to you. And I know it's within the structure of the rules, but coaches, you know, say, what are you doing? This is, you know, what are you trying to, you trying to fool us or beat us? USC doesn't have to fool anybody. They just got to beat you. They've got a great traditional program. They got to line up and smash you. Be the hammer, not the nail. And I think sometimes these kids try to prove too much after the play. And I think that these kids need to be told, play the play during the play, not after the play. I don't want to see your mouth running. I don't want to see you trying to tell me how good you are at taunting people. I want to see you put your energies into the play. And they've got to be told in a way. Players understand what you're talking about. It's no please. You're embarrassing the school. I mean, yeah, everybody understands that. I, I, you know, I think that it's what you call respect. And it's what, when I say something... You do it. I don't ask you to please do it. And today, a lot of kids read the newspapers and they expect, hey, Coach, I'm a number one draft choice. You may be a number one draft choice, but you sure as hell ain't going to be if you're not playing. So I just think there's got to be some of that, too, uh, within the program.
1: Pretty good rapid fire, Coach. (laughs)
2: But that was pretty long. But that you know I got a lot of bullets.
1: Right. Okay. Here we, uh, we'll we'll go through another one. This was an interesting. I'll stay
2: longer if you want me to. Don't worry.
1: This was an interesting question. I I please. This. this will be the last one about coaching and all of that. Here you go.
4: Hello, Ryan. This is Guy. Uh, I wanted to ask about either and any of your guests the uh, parameters uh, of, of considering the replacement of a head coach at USC. Lane Kiffin has a really an exemplary record so far, especially under the NCAA uh, restrictions. Yet I personally, and I know others, do not really see him as the future for USC as uh, the head coach that would lead USC into national championship contention. And that's just a personal opinion. Many people have that personal opinion, and for whatever reason, does is it is it, is it right? To, to think of replacing a coach even if he has a good record or or one must one wait until catastrophe strikes? That's a very strange question, I know. I, I hope I didn't go on too long. Thank you very much. Bye, on.
2: Well, thank you. No, I'll tell you, a coach's job is always in jeopardy. You're only as good as your last win and then if there's an off-the-field incident like there could be, you're gone. So... Coaches understand what they have and their responsibility. They know it's day-to-day. No matter what your record is, it's day-to-day, depending on what happens on the field, off the field, and whatever else is a part of the problem or program. Uh, As I said earlier, I don't think he needs to be replaced at all. But Lane Kiffin's been at SC for a long period of time. We talk about him just being here for, what, three years? And remember, he was part of the USC staff for, what, six years? He was under the glory years of Pete Carroll. He was there as an offensive coordinator. He knows the SC program. He knows what's going on at SC and what SC expects. And you, every program you in, you're in, and you learn from it. Whether he left too early, maybe he needed to get more experience. I don't know, but he got the head coaching job with The Raiders, and for some reason he left the Raiders, went to Tennessee, and given the opportunity of coming back to USC, he was smart. I would do the same thing. And he came back to USC. I just think he's got to, uh, and we are easily in a position to criticize, I think he's got to look at the same film we're seeing and also understand what we're talking about. And I think uh, that you've got to have rhythm within your football team. You've got to have continuity within your football team. You can't let it just go different directions. And, you know, you hear me harp all the time about the running game. You hear me harp all the time about series. You hear me harp all the time about play action pass. You hear me talk all the time about stretching the field. You know, Arizona couldn't have covered those receivers ever but you've got to utilize your other players at the same time so they don't know what you're doing all the time. And uh, that's what people are critical about. And all of a sudden, like Vinuku is a big guy you go to on and, and important downs and throw the football. I don't know where some of this stuff comes from. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know what play is going to be called at any one time. I don't think they believe in the running game. And, of course, that's their philosophy. Whenever it's fourth and two or whatever, they don't want to run the ball. He, they ran the ball when they were on that drive important port and drive, and Reed ran a right in for a touchdown on the same play. I don't think the fullback, maybe he's carried the ball one time the entire year. Why have a fullback? He just leads the play and takes you to the play, and most of the other time he's a receiver. Uh, so I don't I don't understand some of those things, and I think those are things I'd like to hear someone tell me and explain it.
1: Well, that the JJB had that point too about you know he doesn't feel that Kiffin has confidence in the offensive line. You know, running a reverse on fourth and two. I think he agrees with you there. Um, we have a few questions on penalties. I'll try to lump them together just and get your overall thoughts on penalties. I know we talked on it some, but it's such a big issue. I think we need to discuss it a little bit more before we let you go. Uh, JB in Pennsylvania. He's like, what do you think about a senior captain that has two silly personal fouls? Is that any way to lead a young team? If the senior captain can't stop their own ridiculous penalties, how can we expect underclassmen to? So I thought that was a good point. And then Earl in West L.A. says, does it seem like the players are so conscious of not making mistakes? They make them anyway like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or is it a simple issue that are just not a disciplined team? He says, fight on and beat the Ducks. And then, Coach, just because we're running out of time, I'll play this one last uh, voicemail for you on penalties and maybe get your overall thoughts on all these points. Hi, this is John from Santa Rosa, California. This question is for Dan or Harvey. Gathering my thoughts for the game, it seems like even when Lane Kevin of explains how they need to fix their penalty problems, it never seems like it's really corrected to finish the game in the second half. Also, in the second half, the penalty call seem a little bit conservative compared to the first half. I uh, just wanted to know what you guys think. Why does he keep struggling to finish games well? Thank you, if I don't.
2: Well, I don't know which one of these three you want me to start with. The <laughs> penalty situation we've uh, addressed uh, before, I'm very disappointed, too, in the T.J. McDonald uh, penalty since uh, Coach sort of put him in charge last week of of uh, trying to settle down the team. And that was nothing but jawing. I think he's a great football player trying to, you know, Talks. I said it earlier. I said don't don't do it after the play. Do it during the play. You know, you don't have to convince someone you knocked him down. If the guy didn't get up or the guy felt the hit, well, you are gonna try to tell him about it? And, you know, and I'm not big on all this celebration after you make a big play too. I'm and I and I really appreciate the way Lee and some of these guys when they make great plays just hand the ball to the official and come back. I, I, I'm into that. Uh, penalties are undisciplined football teams. That's exactly what it comes down to. You're undisciplined. You take Kansas State, they're one or two in the country not two, they're two or three in the country. You know how many penalties they've had the whole year? Four. Tell me how that happens. Because they're disciplined. And they do what Bill Snyder tells them to do. Not that USC's not disciplined. They're great kids. I've coached these. I'm not saying anything about the kids but you got to be able to play during the play and not play afterwards. Don't play with your mouth either. They all know the rules, the rules of the game. And you've got to get involved and be more control of your football team. He needs to work the field. He needs to be on the offensive side, the defensive side, and the special team side. And he's got to be able to uh, eliminate this problem. I mean, you're not going to beat anybody. He can win his next four games or he can lose the next four games. Believe me that type of team he has. He has great players. Players want to win, uh, but they got to be put in a position where they can win. That includes themselves being disciplined enough to want to accomplish their goal. But it's all got to go right because everybody's trying to win. Everybody tries to win. It's not just USC trying to win. Do you know what an important game that was for Arizona? Arizona's back in the hunt now for the Southern uh, Division Championship. Sure, they got three losses, but SC could have three losses. UCLA could have three losses. A lot of people could have three losses. So, you know, it's a big game and you've got to be able to get yourself ready to play those games and be disciplined enough to understand what it takes to win in those games. And and I think the biggest thing that people are are disappointed about is I think a lot of people are embarrassed. Embarrassed by the way the team performs on the football field uh, as far as their performance, great performances, individual performances, and then performances that embarrass the, the fans and teams and themselves with penalties. And it's not just an offensive problem. It's a defensive problem, too, because they, whenever a team gets 588 yards, now I know they've been getting a lot of yards, but that's not called for against USC.
1: No, I agree, Coach, and I, I think you could see and feel the frustration in the USC fans out there from all the questions we got. We didn't even get to all of them, but it's it's a level of they know that this team. I think it just comes down to they know there's a lot of talent on this team, and they're they're not really seeing it, you know, on the field. And it, it's tough. I mean, I can understand expectations are one thing, but when you see a guy like Mark Lee put up those kind of big numbers, and and you know Matt Barkley set a record, you know for for total yardage in a game, no USC players ever had more yards than what Matt Barkley got uh, on Saturday. And, and to lose like that, I you can just feel the frustration with everyone and it, it's tough.
2: It is tough. And, you know, I think this team is too much into records. I mean, I've been hearing about records the whole year. You got to worry about wins and uh, setting records against Colorado and, This is by an accident, this record, this week. This isn't one that was done purposely. They almost had to have these passes to be able to stay in the game. But uh, having a game plan that's simple, having a game plan where you're able to use the great athletic ability of your players is what's necessary. How many plays did Arizona run? I can ask you, how many different plays did they run? They ran carry right they ran carry left they ran got up the middle on straight runs they ran him on some draws and they ran to the keep that's it two players carried the ball on offense and they got 200 and some yards rushing <laughs> isn't that hard that's not hard you don't have to see motions and sets and all of that stuff just keep it simple where you use your players uh, athletic ability and you put them in a position to win I think that's what you got to do. You can't have them thinking about everything. And you got to know your offense, and you got to not make it too complicated where the kids know it. Because the kids are playing it. You might know it, but the kids got to know it. You can't make up things as the game goes along either. All right, that's it if, unless you want to keep going.
1: No, we, we could keep going for hours, Coach, I know. But thanks again. Um, it's always great stuff to, to hear from you and get your thoughts. And thanks, everyone, for sending in those questions. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week, Coach.
2: Okay, guys. Thank you very much.
1: All right. And everyone else, hey, 30 seconds away. Dan Weber is going to come on and get to a lot more of your questions. So stay tuned for that.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Parastyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1 800 888 7287. 1 800 888 7287. That's 1 800 888 7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, Concert, Sports, and Theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Hey, Dan, what's going on, sir?
5: Hey, uh, I don't know. I think it's question time. This isn't the British Parliament, but uh, there are questions.
1: <laughs> there are questions, and we have so many. We, we got a whole bunch with Car- Coach Harvey Hyde, and we have got to get to a bunch with you. Let's, uh, I thought this was an interesting voicemail one to start off with. Here you go.
6: Hi, this is Chris from San Pedro. I got a question for Ryan and Dan for the podcast for the podcast, because you guys are at practice a lot. And my question is, I'd like your opinion on why we're such a, a fundamentally poor football team. I think FC fans, you know, are spoiled, but we can take losing as long as you lose in a good way, and we're just not doing that. Uh, the penalties by the same people uh, for the same things over and over again, having to call timeouts. because. the isn't lined up in the right formation or they run out of time, even after a penalty when we should have more time to have a play call, uh, the total lack of being able to run the ball against the worst defense in the country in short guardage, uh, and the totally blown coverages, uh, third and 22, uh, 60-yard pass play. Uh, so I really like your comment on why we're such a fundamentally poor team uh, and what you think could be done about it. Uh, Because I think that's something that that SD fans are going to take. Thanks again for all your time uh, and uh, helping me learn a little bit more about the game. And hope you can offer some insights based on your uh, your viewing practice day in and day out, and maybe even doing other teams' practices and and how they how they manage the game uh, themselves during the game. So you guys analyze it really closely. Thanks again, and uh, pray for a miracle Saturday. Thanks,
5: Uh, Chris. Good, good comments. You know, I think some of the problem is the focus seems to be on the plays, not the players. And I think you need players to make plays. And practice has to be about the players, not the plays. The game has to be about the players, not the plays. And I think USC is in a situation, if you look at the NFL, a lot of that focus is, you know, everybody's got, you know, how many million dollars in salaries, and everybody's got experienced players to some extent, and everybody's got, you know, the players there, you know, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy hours a week, and that's all they do is football, and so, you know, you win on the margins, maybe you win on the little, you know, the little adjustments, the little, you know, wrinkles, the little, you know, but that's not college football, and I think uh, uh, you can't. Just win with the focus on the plays. I mean, for example, I don't know that it helped being at practice last week. You know, I mean, uh, they practiced like they did for the Colorado game, which we thought was the way. Uh, okay, we're taking you know, USC's taking two weeks getting ready for Arizona and uh, uh, Oregon, and they're using the Colorado week to get more fundamental, faster, more aggressive, more attacking, uh, a quicker pace. As uh, you saw, Colorado game, the, uh, all the procedures and the wrong lineups and the jumping, you know, offsides and stuff like that, that went away. They were going fast, uh, no indecision, no thinking, no thinking too much. Uh, and then you come, you know, they do that all week, and then you line up for the first play at Arizona, and they're all just standing there, looking at the sidelines, waiting for somebody to give them something. Uh, and and you saw that kind of half of the game. I mean, they went almost 40 minutes when they didn't score in a game where they gained 618 yards, break all these records and still had a 20 minute dry spell. It's not almost possible to do that. I mean, there's almost not enough time in 20 minutes to do all that they did, but they did. I mean, it's a team with different personalities uh, and almost looks like they are trying to do too many things. And, i think too much, you know the fourth and two reverse to Marquise, you know Lane love that play get the get the ball into the hands of your um of your hot guy I think it' you know I think it's a terrible play, I hate it what it says about what you think about your offensive line against three little guys from uh you know Arizona who haven't stopped anybody all year uh what it says about your running backs i mean you put the ha- ball in the hands of a wide receiver who Proved on that play he's a wide receiver. He tried to take it, you know, for the distance instead of getting the two yards. Uh, that's why you give the ball, if, you're gonna, if you need two, you give the ball to a, a running back. And you have a running back you, you, you trust for two. I'd say most teams know what they can run on fourth and two. You know, we were kind of kidding one another in the press box. And does USC have any idea what play it wants to run right now? It's fourth and two. Any idea? No, fourth and two could be anything that, you know, you say, well, that's good. Could be anything. Well, it is. If you can execute anything, I mean, it was a great play to draw up on the sidelines, uh, the 87 yard potential, you know, double cut, uh, Pogo to Mark, you know, Robert Woods, who, you know, if he catches it, probably the game's over. Unfortunately they'd never run it in practice and they were just off. Those are hard plays to run, you know, uh, but the emphasis again there was on the play, and I know, you know, uh, Matt said the cornerback bit so badly uh, for the second straight time uh, that uh, he probably got a little excited, you know, and you you turn that ball loose with a little you know extra on it, uh, but you haven't timed it out ever in practice. That's just almost too hard to do uh, when it's going to be, you know, the play of the you know that was the play of the day according to Lane. How can you put yourself in a game where the play of the day, make it or don't make it, determines the day, on a play you've never run before in practice? I'm sorry. Uh Uh-uh. Got to be some rethinking done. Uh, I guarantee you, Oregon doesn't have any question about what they're going to run on fourth (laughs) and two. Arizona didn't have any question. Do you think Arizona looked like they didn't know what they were going to do on their last couple of drives? Of course they did. And they believed in it. And it wasn't any, you know, they were, you know, up in the bit and excited. And these are guys, you know what, how many, one of them, USC recruited one of them. Uh, I'm sorry, things have to change. This is not an NFL program. They may be, a lot of these guys will be NFL players someday. They're not now. Shouldn't be coached like it. Have to be motivated like their college kids. And a lot of that's not happening.
1: Well, let's uh, let's switch to some penalty questions, Dan. There's, I'm going to read two of them for you, and then there's a follow up after that. But I'll let you answer these these first two. First was Brian. He says, "Could the continuing of rash and stupid penalties be because the lack of physicality on the defensive front seven uh, with because of the after? I'm sorry, because of the sanctions effect, the after effects of the sanctions? He says, due to the lack of physicality in practice, could some of these penalties because of that? You know, be." From that, I didn't read that very well, sir. (laughs) I'm trying to condense some of these because we're getting like paragraphs and paragraphs of questions. And then Andrea and San Clemente, um, it feels like the personal fouls are out of frustration because our team bought into the preseason hype of being national championships, being national champions. It seems that they desperately are hanging on to this championship image, even though they haven't earned it. How How do you coach this team out of the delusion and bring them back to sound? Fundamental football. So, a couple questions on penalties there for you, Dan.
5: Yeah, I think those are good comments. I think the whole penalty thing is a combination of all of those kinds of things, and I, I think both of those are, are, are spot on. I think that's part of a part of the issue uh, that there is a frustration level, there's a lack of trust level, in that uh, what we're doing isn't working. I better take this into my own hands. I'm not going to stand for this anymore. Boom, boom, boom you know, and then the, you get the reaction. Uh, the lack of ability to maybe be quite as physical in practice. I do think you know, and Lane has mentioned that, but I, I don't disagree completely. And I think one of the aspects there is uh, the lack of quality depth, and and, and let's face it, there, had the you know things gone other ways in in some of the recruiting over the last few years, there might not be the quite the the level of lack of quality depth in certain positions uh, uh, across the. Uh, uh, offensive line, for example, or whatever. But, uh, but then I think also the inability to bring guys along quickly makes it you've got a lot of positions where there are some talented guys behind the starters, but they're not close enough or haven't been brought along close enough that they're really viable options to going out on the field uh, or, or really going out on the field or really be in the lineup so, therefore, I think the one uh, thing that you've got in coaching against penalties is is you won't be able to you know, commit the next penalty because you won't be in the game. You know, unless you throw your helmet from the sidelines, you know, you're not going you know, to get as penalized anymore. I get the sense that the coaches don't think they're in a position where they can say, you're out of there. You know, We're just not going to stand for that. Guys that do that aren't going to be on the field. I do think uh, some of that is a, is a reflection on a system that seems to be too complex for college and complex to the point of you just can't get guys ready enough uh, in, a, in a short enough time to be basically a viable depth where you could say, you guys do that, you're sitting next to me, and uh, we'll have somebody else in there and we're just going to expect no one to do that. I mean, they're in a position now, if you started benching guys for really dumb, uh, critical penalties, who would you put on the field? And I know that's, that's part of the thinking process. So depth factors in a little bit, you know, and the sanctions-related part of that a little bit, but it's a whole lot of things. It's, it's the way they practice. The pressure you put them under in practice is that from uh, kind of Following an NFL model, or is that from trying to avoid injury model. It's a combination. But the penalty thing is really complex. But, God almighty, it has to be addressed. It really
4: has to be addressed.
1: The, uh, you know, I-, I felt that you should do that. If it's, if it's Barkley, if it's McDonald, whoever it is that, that, create, that does a dumb penalty, you take the guy out. And, you know, when Max Turk got one earlier in the game, I wouldn't have any issue putting in Nathan Gertler, who came in and played well for Matt Khalil. Last year, I mean, he's servicely. He's, he's certainly serviceable, and you know, he seems like he's pretty good. And I, I don't, unless you give them the the sense that hey, the, you're going to come out of the game. I don't care who you are. If Max Whitick has to go in and throw a pass, whatever it is, at least that would send some sort of message. Right now, the message is, yeah, I'm going to yell at you, but if you're in an important position, we're not going to bring you out of the game. I mean. I just think yeah, it would I be think, better it, off.
5: I think you're right. It's a principle. So if you have it as a principle from the beginning of the year, where it's not just a one-of-a-kind thing where you pick one guy and, you know, one guy fumbles, he's out. Next guy fumbles, he's not out. I don't know that you can do that. If it's a basic principle and say, you know, the personal fouls, especially everything after the whistle. It's after the whistle, you are not going to be in for the next whistle. We don't care who we're putting in there. Uh, that would be, I, I think – you know, whether you can institute that now, I'm not sure. I wish they would have instituted it at the beginning of the year uh, as soon as it was obvious this was going to be an ongoing and ever-worsening. I mean, the fact that it got worse. Now, I mean, I thought it was interesting. They sucked uh, Arizona into the penalty shootout. Arizona ends up worse than USC, uh, you know, on the penalty shootout. That's what happened. Uh, you know, we're, but that's just a normal game for USC, unfortunately or slightly worse than normal, but, uh, 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 and, and, and your leaders, your team leaders, you know, are, uh, you know, the ones that are engaging in at first, which tells me some of it's frustration. Some of it's just, what else can I do? I'm so mad at how this is going. We shouldn't be in this situation. Uh, we're better than this. And boom, you know, guy does something to you and you immediately react without thinking and, um, you know, you've, they've extended another drive. You know, they've made the, you know, starters, like in the Syracuse game, they've made, you know, they've given Syracuse another touchdown, made it so that the coaches were afraid to take the starters out. Collin Holmes gets hurt at the end, and they lose the Stanford game. I mean, that was like, well, that's that penalty. Is that like a $15 million penalty when, you you know, you're not going to a BCS game now? Uh, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, these, these things have, really serious consequences and you don't get the sense that the players are tied into the understanding that there are real consequences to those actions. It's like, let's go to the next play. We'll know.
1: Uh, one more thing on the penalties before we let you go on that one. we got a lot of other questions to get to, but real quick, Stephen Poway, do you think that USC will finally stop practicing in the early morning hours and move to the afternoon so they can bring in... Uh, good referees to every practice. I thought that was an interesting point.
5: Yeah, I, I, I think you know, I think they need the officials there. Whether you know that's a consequence of uh, of uh, early morning practices, uh, you know, whether that would be enough to change the early morning practices, I don't know. It ought to be one of the factors. Uh, I think uh, uh, you know, and maybe they need to you know make more of an effort to find those you know six guys in LA who um, who they could use to um, you know have a you know, worked a night shift or something. I don't know if there are enough of those guys uh, around, but I think it would be you know really worth um, worth doing that search. But uh, I would say this: if they change from morning practices, there will be other reasons probably. As much as the penalties look like a big deal, there are even other more uh, urgent reasons possibly for uh, for doing that. You know, like the the you know the way it affects their academics a little bit, uh, how it you know kind of throws them onto a different schedule from everybody else in, in school and, and that kind of thing. So uh, hopefully they're reevaluating that and we'll see, you know, where that goes.
1: And just so people know, that's not going to happen this year. Like everyone's class wow. schedule, this would have to be for future. And even might, maybe not even next fall. I mean, they have to really, it probably could, but you know, it, it takes a little while to set that up. It um, take,
5: certainly, yeah, until next fall.
1: Uh, so yep. here let's, we have a couple questions on, kind of coaching. I'm going to read you one and then I'll play you a voicemail and you can let you respond to those. Um, from in San Diego. He says, when is Pat Hayden going to step in and suggest or recommend that Lane need to fill the, to find new coordinators. Monty has forgotten more than I'll ever know about football, but after three seasons, he still hasn't figured out how to stop the spread. Lane's conservative play calling in the second half is inhibiting our ability to put teams away. That's from Steve. And then here's another one. Uh, uh, this is more about the coordinates i'll play this one
4: uh this is rich
5: from toluca lake anger no discipline <clears throat> penalties personal fouls play calling which lead to three quick
4: questions number one uh is it time for Monty kiffin to uh retire and get somebody else number two <clears throat> is it time for lane, lane kiffin to realize that he should be the head coach and get an offensive coordinator And number three, where was Curtis McNeil yesterday? I didn't see him for any rushes, and uh, I don't know if they could have used him, but maybe it might have helped. Sure, enjoy your show. Any uh, comments, uh, updates on that would be appreciated. Fight on, and uh, hope we can beat Oregon next week. Take care. Bye.
5: Okay, uh, Rich, uh, uh, we'll go in reverse order there. Uh, Curtis didn't make the trip, or certainly we couldn't find him, and we looked really hard. He had one of those weeks. where you're never sure with Curtis, whether it's his migraine, migraine headaches or, or the concussion and the concussion testing. It was kind of a, an in and out week. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm kind of treading lightly because I'm not actually sure, uh, how far we want to go in terms of what we observe at practice that are related to injuries. But, uh, uh, he really wasn't probably very much in the game plan at all. And, uh, as it turned out, anyone know, wasn't, wasn't you know with the travel squad, uh, wasn't in uniform. So uh, uh, that's what we can tell you about Curtis. As far as uh, uh, Lane and, and Monty's roles, yeah, I uh, I just think there's too much to do. Certainly in in the way USC is approaching this offense with all of the complexity all of the uh you know, changes from week to week, uh, all of the calls and all of the things that have to happen right, I just don't know that your head coach can be the guy behind the play calling sheet. Uh whose face, you know, when they zero in uh you know, with the you know, the long lens cameras, uh you don't see the coach. Uh and I don't think for example and, and what this is you know, Lane said that uh on the uh Unprecedented. I've never seen it happen, and, and, and it's, that's not unusual for Pac-12 officials. But when they come up, and, and Lane said he saw two flags on the play on uh, Robert Woods. Uh, or I guess it was Robert was the wide receiver on the uh, when they took back the uh, the uh, uh, pass interference on Arizona, and uh, a guy from the side, you know, and, and the Pac-12, the way they do their mechanics, they're like thirty yards from the play usually. Uh, so the guy from the side, from the other side, said oh, no, what you guys saw, that really wasn't pass interference. He didn't, uh, I think the, in the press box they said he didn't turn the man. Uh, according to Lane, they told him he didn't twist the man. Where is that in the role? That's, uh, uh, and how, whoever heard of uh, just it, say, pick up your flag, uh, you didn't see what you just threw your flag for, uh, that's not pass interference. But here's Lane. He said I didn't, he didn't pick up on that because he saw the flags. He said, I was working on my play sheet for the next play. Uh, And that's the problem. You can't be working on your play sheet for the next play if you're the head coach. they got to know that I'm going to have to go over to the sidelines. What if you go over to explain to Nick Saban that you just decided that those two flags that were thrown, they really weren't really thrown properly. And you're going to pick them up because some guy 30 yards away decided they didn't twist your receiver enough. To make it really pass interference, when well, they grabbed him, ball was in the air and they grabbed him. He admitted that, but Lane is not involved in that because he's working on the next play. That's probably not a, not acceptable. Really is not. He's got to be the he got to be the head coach. I, I'm always a big believer in what Bear Bryant wrote. I remember reading it when I was a high school coach. The first thing I ever read, and one of the two principles Bear Bryant said. Number one principle was. Make sure this school president is on your side uh, and he'll back you in everything you do. And the second thing he said is a head coach, his job is to coach his assistant coaches. They're the ones that coach the players. But your job as a head coach is to coach your assistants. And that's not happening. Not enough. And that's got to start happening however it happens. Now, if you were running you know, the Oregon offense or something like that, maybe you could be the play caller and the head coach. Uh, but uh, I don't think you can with what USC's trying to do. I don't think USC should quite be trying to do what they're doing but uh, on offense. And as far as Monty's concerned, it worries me, for example, uh, the inability to really commit to some things in terms of what you may have to do to stop the option, uh, to stop the spread, or in terms of what you have to do, for example, in that last series when, when the Arizona has the ball with 440 to go, and you know they, get, they don't have their starting quarterback in, and, and it's on the, you know, they're on their own 25, and you know they're not going to do anything but give it to Kadeem uh, Carey. And yet USC took a long time, and still, and we're just talking with Ryan, I don't know that they ever adjusted enough to totally take away the run. They give him nine yards on the first play because they're just sort of lined up you know in a normal offense. What you do is you have to be coming with, and if you've got to come with all 11 guys, dare them to throw the ball. They're not going to throw it and make them punt. Give yourself three minutes uh, to get back in the ball game, and you don't blow you know, two timeouts. So USC gives up eight plays, two timeouts, and now they got the ball on their own 13 with uh, 55 seconds to go. That's unacceptable. Can't do that. And that flow of the game, that quick flow of the game, uh, I think is really a kind of a difficult thing of the college game. Um, you know, for somebody who's 25 years, last 25 years before he, you know, came back to college were in the NFL, I think it's a gigantic adjustment. I'm not going to uh, go into anything else, but uh, I know there would be a role for Monty, a really valuable role. Kids loving, uh, couldn't be a better guy to be introducing uh, players to, that kind of thing, uh, recruits, possible commits, however you do that. Whether there's, uh, you know, Ohio State has, like, as last time I looked, they had, like, seven or eight former head coaches and 30-, 40-, 50-year, you know, veteran coaches doing something on the staff. And uh, I don't think that's the, the worst way to go. But that's not my call.
1: Um, we've got, we got a few more to get to. I'll we'll try to, to knock these okay. out quick, and we've got we to gotta let you go. Um, sticking okay. with defense, okay. there's two questions, one from Juan, I uh, said, what happened with the defensive struggles uh, after the first half? Giving up that third and 22 play started the flow of momentum toward Arizona. And then Eddie said he watches SEC defenses. It seems like they bring the blitz and pressure every single play from different players and different formations. Why is USC? Why does USC hardly ever bring pressure? And when it's from different players and different positions, um, you know, why aren't they doing on third and long trying to pre- and they play prevent and, and allow these big plays? Uh, things like that. So Eddie wants to know about that, and Juan and th- was the other question.
5: Well, you know, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it is interesting. The two games they lost uh, uh, are the two games without sacks. Uh, it didn't seem to be there like you've seen it before. Now, the thing is, you know, they've gotten 21 or, had 21 or 22 sacks on the defensive line. Uh, what changed in the Arizona game? I don't, think we, I don't think we really absolutely know, other than the fact that Arizona had And the one thing that it seems like Monty has had difficulty with, especially on the adjustment from the NFL, is a running quarterback, a really athletic, quick, uh, veteran, decisive, 50-year senior who can also throw the ball and is empowered to run and throw. Uh, That that isn't accounted for in in, in much of Monty's defensive thinking, and that really uh, causes them a problem. And – it, does it cause them to be a little bit, uh, uh, gun shy in, in some ways? Maybe. Uh, were they a, a little gun shy on defense? Yeah, they really were. That didn't look like the same UFC defense. And he'll do that to you. I mean, uh, Matt Scott will, he's done that to a lot of people, but that's what I think the challenge is. Figure out a way to involve, you know, you got quick people. Yes. He's got really quick people on defense. It didn't look like it, uh, Saturday. Uh, and that's, that's on USC. they got to figure out how to get that quickness into the game. So,
1: All right. Uh, let's go. We've got two more. Here's a voicemail one.
3: Hello, Ryan. and Mr. Weber. And this is Garrett Ripp from Santa Elena. The question this week is, given our defeat at the hands of Arizona, it seems like the team, uh, there may be some, uh, not dissension is not the right word, but some miscommunication in terms of what – uh, just between the coaches and and the players, and it just seems that there is they're they're out of sync, and that maybe the problems um, that are manifesting themselves on the field go deeper than football. Um, just in terms of you know getting messages across uh, specifically with the penalties, for example, and making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, first of all, do you think that's accurate? And then, second of all, what can be done to kind of address that that problem and kind of the feel of the team and how they, uh, you know, are dealing with the reality that, you know, we're not going to win the BCS now, but we have to make the best of the remainder of the season. Thank you for your time, and look forward to look forward to hearing from you. Take care, and have a have a nice day.
5: Very good, Garrett.
3: Uh, you know, I think
5: the issue. There's clearly an issue in terms of um, uh, kind of it's a, it's, a, it's a morale issue. It's a, uh, I think it's more a communication and confidence uh, and, and maybe confusion issue, where it doesn't look like everybody's completely sure of what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to get it done. And then they kind of take the you know, law into their own hands at times. Um, it certainly doesn't look like you get these long stares when you talk to players after games where they're clearly not completely bought into uh, uh, at all levels what they're trying to do or what they're being asked to do. And they don't understand why. Why, why are we here? Why didn't it work? What's going on? We're better than this. Um, and it looks like players are trying to figure it out for themselves. That's the problem. You can't have players trying to figure it out for themselves in the game, after the game, whatever. Um, and, And that hasn't happened where we've got everybody on the same page. I mean, you know, it doesn't even remotely resemble the second half of last season. And you really do wonder where did the second half of last season go when everybody was on the same page? And it looked like they knew exactly what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to do it. And now, you know, is that too much change week to week? Uh, uh, Is everybody trying too hard where they need to, you know, just relax and and cool it and not try to be too hard, you know, try too hard, not try to outsmart everybody, not try to, you know, show everybody uh, we're trying to do everything you can possibly do. A lot of times you can't do everything you want to do. You maybe got to be simpler and more basic and uh, more fundamental and a lot of things i mean there's a lot of talk about uh, guys working extra hard and when they translate that they say guys got to take better notes and you know uh in the meetings and uh and watch more films the problem is not everybody learns that way a lot of times you need to really do it in practice over and over and over again so that it's in their muscle memory i mean you know sure Matt Barkley and Tyler Holmes and Robert Woods, probably going to take really good notes. But I'm not sure those three, you know, represent where the average, you know, college football player is. And uh, so, you know, I think that's where the uh, kind of emphasis on sort of a an NFL-like approach to a lot of things probably doesn't translate really well uh, with, you know, college football players. And it's really, it makes it harder I think for him to handle things in the heat of the, of a big game, big road game where the other team's playing well and is all fired up.
1: Um, one last one, did I thought that was a good one with, when he mentioned problems deeper than football. Um, this is from coach G he says on the, yeah, he, say, he says, Dan, you're on the money with your just asking segment. So we're looking forward to that one coming out later today. Um, and f- as a former coach, I totally agree with your logic. um, his suggestion is that Kiffin spend extra time with offensive line coach James Craig to stress firing off the ball on short yardage situations. He also talked about using the the no huddle offense a lot more. Um Dan, but I, mean, I I don't know if you can really complain about the the amount of yards that they put up. <laughs> but yeah. he he wants to see more of a firing off the ball from the offensive line.
5: Yeah, I did too. I just think it's easier for kids to do that. Uh and it's easier, you know, with the zone blocking and everybody blocking together You know, and everybody has to kind of, you know, be their fingers in the glove, and you know, all all of it has to go the, you know, the right way, and everybody has to, you know, know what they're doing. It just seems like, you know, that's that's kind of a better way to go for college kids, Uh, and the quicker the better. With a veteran team, with the weapons USC has, it would seem that the quicker they run plays, uh, the less time teams have to adjust to them. I certainly like, you know, the way they looked in practice the last two weeks, like the way they looked, you know, the, unfortunately you're playing Colorado. So, you know, but, but going the way they went and then to come out and put the brakes on at the start of the Arizona game didn't make much sense. It didn't square with, with practice. So, yes, I'd like to see that. I think it would help them in short yardage situations. One of the things you noticed uh, uh, years ago when Tim Davis left and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, Pat Rule came in, Pat rule had a much more NFL mindset and it became more of a, um, uh, you know, it's all in your head adjustments, you know, and, and they tended to become much more of a finesse, kind of a finesse blocking, uh, you know, zone blocking team. Uh, and that works well if you've got, you know, Matt Khalil and you're running behind him and he's trying to knock that guy's head and helmet off. Uh, and yeah, that's great. And they're giving him a wide berth, uh, But, um, I'm not so sure it works for all the, you know, especially guys that, for example, are playing on the left side of the line for the first time in their lives, uh, miss almost all of August practice and, uh, haven't ever, you know, played, uh, really haven't played tackle before much. Uh, and then you figure, okay, we can still, no, you can't do the same kind of stuff, not even close. And, uh, and, and and I don't know that the adjustment you make there is you just cut back on the offense or you just uh, you go conservative for four or five games or, or whatever. Uh, but uh, I do think you know there is some uh, overthinking being done and under preparing and maybe under even under coaching. I mean I think you can coach more and coach better and coach more effectively by coaching less and motivating and um, and preparing. And getting them into my feeling is muscle memory is better than sitting there and trying to remember what the hell was that adjustment I'm supposed to make on this play? Do I do this or do I do that? Or let me see now. What do my notes tell me? Uh Uh-uh. You got no notebooks out there in the hotel, no iPads, nothing. You got to do it. You got to do it right now. And uh, I think there has to be more emphasis on that kind of immediacy. I mean, Watch Oregon this week. They're not checking their iPads. You know, they got them. You know, uh, they're not checking them. They're just playing football. And uh, I, don't, I don't, I think the Oregon situ- situation limits you probably way too much also. Certainly not a USC adaptable one. But the part of it that's adaptable is basic, fast, confident, uh, and attacking aggressively. And knowing who you are, and playing the way you play in order to win football games. I'm not sure USC knows who they are and how they're supposed to win football games, other than maybe this will be a good play for us. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't.
1: All right, Dan, well, great stuff. We really appreciate it. I know that we had a lot of questions to get to, and I apologize to anyone we didn't get to. We tried to hopefully hit on every <laughs> topic that was important but there was a ton, there was a ton of them obviously right. after and I,
5: I do think we're preaching to the choir and I think it's it's actually more than like the specifics I think that's what the USC kind of difficulties uh arise from we get so specific about this little play here or this little thing there that we maybe don't see the forest you know for the trees because uh, I think it's it's more of a a bigger picture thing uh and uh I think we'll find out, you know, are we stepping back and getting a look at the bigger picture now? Uh, we'll find out. The two, And we got two, you know, the, the challenges. They still have everything in, in their control. That's what's amazing. They went out, they did the Rose Bowl, you know? I mean, that wouldn't be bad. All
1: right, Dan. Well, thanks again. Appreciate the, the insight. And we'll, we'll see you at practice tomorrow. We'll be back on the show next week. Uh, thanks very much for coming on.
5: Thanks, Ryan. See ya.
1: Bye. All right. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week with another exciting edition. We'll see what happens. USC versus Oregon, big game of the year. We'll talk to you then.